I am Citizen 44. Oh my goodness, I am so happy right now. First Friday was fantastic. So many people came in and gave me hugs. We had wine and we had cheese and it was so warm outside. Everybody was walking around having a fantastic time. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. I mean, it was really ridiculous. I can't believe that I had never had a first Friday in Paris Green before. But never again will we not have a first Friday. So look for us again next first Friday in June. Oh gosh, please come in. You won't believe how fun it is. 77 Oak Street, downtown Ashland. Also look for us on Facebook. Mention you heard this ad and you will receive 10% off your next purchase. Okay, bye-bye. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 42. Two away from 44. Today we have Jeff Klotzel on the show. Very nice guy. Been friends with him for several years. And uh, he's an excellent singer, songwriter, guitar player, performer guy. And uh, it was fun to have a chat with him and uh, find out a little bit more about the guy that I didn't know really anything about other than playing a gig with him once, like many years ago. So uh, we've got that going on. The other night, uh, my daughter Zoe, she's so sweet and thoughtful, called me up and asked if I would like to take her to see the high school play, Hair. And by the way, the high school here, Ashland High, has an excellent reputation in their drama department for putting on way over the top amazing performances, whatever they might be. So I was super stoked that Zoe called me and I ran out and I got a couple of tickets. Tried to get Sam to go, but he had something else going on. So we went and uh, it was indeed a fantastic performance. I'd never seen hair in its originality of any kind. Was only familiar with the music, some of it. And uh, when we got there, it was super crowded. And at one point, Zoe uh, had mentioned that uh, we should probably get in line. So we did. And once we got in, we found two seats right in the middle just above uh, the reserve section in the auditorium. And once we sat down, there was a ton of people that had no place to sit. And boy, I'll tell you, my timing is really brilliant. Uh, Several people actually got turned away, people that spent money on reserved seats because Ashland High School oversold the event. So uh, lucky us, we got to stay and uh, see a fantastic performance. And uh, uh, both Zoe and I had a really good time. The next day, timing again i'm just a lucky guy man the universe totally is taking care of me so this is why i'm kind of diligent about some of my behavior because i know it's somewhat reflective being mindful about what i do say think all those things i know comes back to me in kind of a mirror-like fashion so anyway after i dropped zoe off i came back home i parked the car in front of the apartment i had uh, val's car she was kind enough to let me use it i had laundry to do So I was able to do laundry the next morning. But uh, before I got to that, I came out to the car at about, I don't know, a little after 8 a.m. And Val's car was almost completely hooked up to a tow truck 
just about to be taken away. Well, what I had forgotten was last Saturday was the first week of the Saturday Growers Market right in front of my apartment on Oak Street. And last year, I inadvertently parked the taxi in front and uh, fortunately was able to receive a phone call because of those big glaring threes on the side of the taxi. Uh, I got up and was able to move it. But I had some very upset people at me on the street on Saturday morning. And uh, through my uh, equanimity, calmness, kindness, sweetness, I was able to calm everybody down. And even, which is almost unheard of, the tow truck driver unhooked Val's car from the tow truck and let me have it back. That is unheard of. Those guys don't do that. I definitely had my karma or whatever going for me this Saturday. So I got the car and uh, I was supposed to meet Rich and uh, Mark Reinfeld, the world-renowned vegan chef and uh, activist and teacher. His wife, Ashley, and uh, her brother, Matt, who was visiting from Portland, and their son, Sage, at Ruby's. So I quickly... I. Got down to the laundromat a little after 8. was supposed to be at Ruby's by 9. Got in a load of wash. I got the stuff in the dryer and then uh, jammed back and had breakfast. It was cool. We had a nice little get-together. And then I, uh, I jammed back and got my clothes, brought them back home, took the car back to Val, uh, dropped it off with uh, 20 bucks worth of gas in it and uh, a goodie bag from Paris Green for Mother's Day. And by the way, I hope everybody had a fabulous Mother's Day. My mother uh, was treated by my sister Rachel to a trip for my sister Rachel and my mother to go visit my niece, uh, Haley, who's away at school uh, near uh, Sonoma, California, somewhere. I don't know. I think they ended up in Petaluma or something. And uh, interestingly enough, I have not spoken to my sister since leaving for Thailand last year. We had a little falling out, and uh, the details are quite unimportant. But uh, she is working on a pretty magnanimous project. I don't remember the name of the project, but uh, she has convinced a couple of companies to donate buses. And she is going around the city of Los Angeles offering homeless people uh, a shower and uh, some clean clothes. Anyway, I wanted to send uh, my sister a text and tell her uh, how, uh, how I thought it was pretty magnanimous that she was doing this incredible work in Los Angeles to help people in need. And, of course, that started the dialogue. It, it took her a couple days to send me a message back, but she did. And, uh, and then I sent her a happy Mother's Day and, uh, and told her I'd love to have her on the show and talk about this, uh, this uh, groovy thing she's doing. I don't have anybody on my list of people I need to uh, make good with, and that is my bucket list. I don't have any interest in checking any kind of things off, like jumping out of airplanes or travel or anything. My whole bucket list is making sure that uh, people that have been in my life, that are in my life, that I am on good terms with, and that I've been clear, and if there have been problems, that I've rectified the problems. That is my bucket list. I want to leave here with a totally clear conscience, have no ill feelings toward anyone or anything, to leave clean. All right, let's get on with the show. It's been a long time, actually, it's, since I've seen you. It has been a while. I'm not really not in Ashland much anymore. Like, my, all my life has sort of shifted away from Ashland. All my work and 
Where do you live? I live in Medford. I left Ashland in late 2010 and been living in my place in Medford since then. So. How do you like it? Uh, I mean, I, I love having my little house that I got back in 09 and finally renovated and was able to move into. You know, and it's in West Medford. I'm, I'm blocks from some pretty ghettos. So you can get some meth while you're walking right. to the grocery store? Right. It's all right there for Is me. It, are you in the hood? <laughs> I'm close to the hood. But I'm on a good block where there's a lot of retirees, so it's a little quieter and not as many rental turnovers and flips. Right. And But two blocks from me, there's some sketchier things for yeah. sure. Although I got to say, the last couple of years, things have quieted down a little bit more as well. And Why do you uh, think that is? I'm definitely seeing a little bit of gentrification there in West Medi. Um, huh. It's just, uh, it's, you know, it's the last bastion of affordability. Uh, Aaron Reed from Brothers Reed just bought a house two blocks from me oh, out okay. there. I know a bunch of my winery industry friends. These guys are buying homes for 140 grand, you know, where, where they can live with their families. Kind of like older buildings, older homes. Like yeah. there's a lot of cute little bungalows and old cottages out there that you can put some love into and make something. So, yeah, I've got a big garden in the back and... Got a little second dwelling out back that a friend of mine uh, rents sometimes. And um, I don't know, it's just a cute little spot. And it's, it's really convenient for me for most of my work. I mean, some of my gigs are no more than a mile away from me. So. And you're 100% music, right? No, I work one day a week still in the wine biz. Behind, okay. Yeah, behind the bar at South Stage one day a week. Oh, well, you're at a great place. Yeah, and it's like eight minutes from home for that's, me into Jacksonville. So that's it's, it's convenient. And yeah. uh yeah, I'm still pretty much a wine dork, but uh, music's gotten so busy that I was able to cut my time back there in half. So That's what you wanted to do, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, instead of working eight hours, you know, doing one thing that even if you like it, why not go two and a half hours of something you love? Absolutely. You know, and... and uh, do you play there, too? Well, that's how I got that job behind the bar, is that oh. I, I started playing music there first, and two years later, I was able to talk myself into a... Uh, you know, initially, I worked there just Mondays and Tuesdays, and because those are the pretty dark days for music, right? Yeah. Not a lot of music. Music. So I'm like, well, I need something to make sure I can get through the, the lean time. Right. So, uh, so I talked my way with Portia Schiller into a, a job behind the bar when somebody else quit. Nice. So I'm like, yeah, it was a good learning experience. I do find that it, it can get a little exhausting because both of them are basically performance jobs. So you're just you're standing in front of people on all the time, and for a, you know a seven and eight hour run, that's pretty exhausting. Come home from that day behind the bar, you know, teaching people about wine and schlepping wine to people and. Whew, I'm wiped. I want no sound. I want my place just quiet and give me a book and my computer and I'm going I'm to be super quiet and not deal with anybody. Can you smoke weed in your dreams? Yeah, I'm sure you can. And if you had somebody in here just kind of pointing a fan with some fumes at you while you're asleep, maybe... Could you have the placebo effect, though? <laughs> if you dream that you're getting high, would you actually get high? You know, the placebo effect is pretty interesting. Now that you, you mentioned that word, I was in a band called Placebo. And really? Briefly here in Ashland. Yeah, it was fun. It was like, we were, you know, we're, we're not as good as you thought we were. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of music? No, it was just all rock cover stuff. Yeah. It was it was fun. It was with uh, some of my older Ashland friends that I've known the longest here. That it came out of like a, a Sunday afternoon jam twice a month, and we finally ended up doing a, a couple gigs with Placebo. But who came up with that name? It was either the guitarist Bob or his girlfriend Rebecca or my friend Trish Dorr from Bob here. the Doctor. Bob Doctor Bob. He was, really? He's an excellent guitar player. Yeah. He's an amazing guitar yeah. player. Yeah. Yeah. Doctor Bob. Now he and Rebecca are in. Uh, Florida. They moved to Florida several years ago. We played music once or twice. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. And then he wanted to put a thing together. And I yeah. totally flaked out on him. Yeah. You know what? That's actually interesting. We had a really revolving, interesting drum chair issue there. And uh, I don't know why I never even thought of you back then. But that would have been... I mean, the Sunday jams were just tons of fun. And then we ended yeah. up just doing maybe two or three gigs with Placebo. But uh, that was fun. And the, the drum was always a little challenging for us to get the right fit. So... 
We should have reached out to you, dang well, it. Most people don't think about me when they think of drums. Well, I did a gig with you. I know. Right down did. here at, at Thai Pepper or something. Basically, you filled in for a, a drum chair for this one gig. Was for it one drum gig. or cajon? I think you played percussion because it was like a stripped down type of a thing yeah. in that space. Uh, that upstairs Thai Pepper, whatever they call it. The Thai Pepper bar. Yeah, the upstairs yeah. of it. And we played with the Lincoln Project. It was Lincoln, Lincoln Z. Played sax, right? Yeah, he's sax and harmonica. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we just did it as a four-piece movie. Because that band was up to like seven people at one point. But that you was... still play with him? No, that, that band sort of, you know, everybody was playing in other bands. Like, it is pretty incestuous, as you well know. And uh, it became harder and harder to schedule everybody at once. The more people you put in the band, the harder it is to get a, get a darn gig without having to sub out this and that. I don't think I've played with them after about 2012. But I played in that band for a couple of years. It was a great experience, and, and it was fun to play with, with horns. We had two horns for a while, and... Donnie Yance was always our bass player, but I'm back playing with him in my current band. He's, he's the bassist ah, for the current band, Jeff Kane Overtones. And, how's he uh, doing? He's doing well, I think. You know, I mean, he's, you know, he's got a full-time business here, but he just yeah. loves music. And he, I mean, he just, he lived, like breathes music and, and mostly jazz. Although he's a funky bugger, too, so, which is what I like in a bass player. I, I love, I don't want to hear somebody just humming on the root all the time. He's got a lot of movement, which yeah. is cool, so. Have you ever played with Jake? No, but... God, I love his bass playing. He's like, he's the too. funkiest. He's uh, the funkiest dude I know. Yeah, no. Next I, to David Gelfand. Had a couple of Jake kind of moments along the way where, I mean, my, you know, my, my buddy Kieran's album, Jake threw into bass on this one tune. And I was like, wow, that's, that's the coolest bass line on this, on this album. Like, and who is that? Oh, that's my friend Jake. I'm like, well, that was my introduction to him. And then seeing him through Love Bite. And yeah. uh, I think it was two or three years ago at Brit uh, Funk Show. God, I can't remember who it was. It was from New Orleans Funk group was the opening act for somebody else on the big stage uh oh i think it's trombone shorty so trombone shorty as the headliner i want to say i don't know new orleans funk instrumental ah, i can't think of the name right now in this group and then jacob was playing with a, tr a trio on the side stage and you know as the, the local opener and out of those three groups Hands down, I thought Jacob had was the funkiest bass player up there, yeah. which says a lot coming from you know New Orleans funk groups. Yeah. Like no, Jacob was the one hands down, but he did it for me that, He's a that freak, day. Dude. Yeah, I was like, that's awesome. He is the instrument that thing yeah. holding him. Yeah, <laughs> channeling. Yeah, like just do, great soul. And he's an awesome guitar player. I thought I did not know. He played guitar on the Lucky Doug and the Stink Bugs. Oh, with for Fergus's yeah, album. Fergus yeah, because Fergus was playing bass. Oh right, duh. So, <laughs> so Doug bought him a guitar. Yeah. And he played all the guitar parts. Wow, that's cool. Well, he knows the fingerboard. I'm sure. I'm assuming so. You exactly. Know, from knowing and, the bass, and, and he was figuring it out as he was going along yeah, too. But he's yeah. just got that innate musical sense. It's like Nick Garapel. You know, anything with strings, put it in his hand, and, and within within a couple minutes, he's gonna have you know something figured out that I would never figure out. I'm blown away <laughs> by all the talent we yeah. actually have in this town. It's crazy. They're all monsters in some way. It man. is sort of freaky how it's been just like this. Somehow there's a funnel that funnels people into this little area. There's this catch-all of all these musicians, you know, of all age ranges. Some of them have these, you know, massive pedigrees of what they've done over the years with massive stars, and others are like nobodies that you listen to them and you scratch your head and you want to give away all your guitars. You're never going to be that guy. I'm right. like, damn it. But it's great. It's also inspiring, too. It's yeah, frustrating yeah. and inspiring, and that's life. Play well, guitar you're never going to be that guy because you're not supposed yeah. to be that guy. Right. You're that yeah. guy, and right. that guy is good at what that guy does. Right. No, that's that true. Guy. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I would love to be the massive lead player that, you know, I could rattle off a list of five people like that that just blow my mind right off the bat. And would you really, though? 
I would love to be a lead player, but not not trading what I got for that. But I'd okay. love to add that. I mean, when I started playing guitar at about age 11, I think that was my third instrument. Piano first. My mom's a piano teacher and voice teacher. So everybody in the family is forced to have years of piano lessons. What a great way to start out your music career because you learn so much. And then I went to drums. I played drums through band and school band and orchestra for six years. And then I went to guitar because that's what I really wanted to play, I think. And uh, I started playing at 11 and I, all I ever wanted to do was just be the lead guy. And uh, that's not the guy I became. No, now, that's I just Stanley. I, yeah, I did, well, yeah, but he can sing too. Like yeah. I never sang until I was 30, really, in huh. public. So... You know, except for like church choir or whatever. So I was living in Hawaii at the time, and I had a, I had a every Friday coffee house gig for a couple hours, and I did only instrumental acoustic stuff in there. And that coffee house got sold, and a new owner one night comes up to me and says, "Hey, you know, um, I think I'm gonna need you to start singing, or else this gig might be over for you." I'm like, "Oh, I'm losing my gig. I've had this gig for years. I'm like, I can't lose my gig. I guess I'm gonna have to start singing something." And I had uh, this would have been early 90s, I guess. I had started writing because I was playing bass in a band and that was a, a mostly original band and I was thinking, well, if this guy's singing and playing guitar, I can write songs. I guess I can too. What the hell? So I, I'd started writing and that forced me into, you know, well, lyrics have always been the little harder part for me, but uh, music seems to come easier than the lyrics. But I had enough. And then as floodgates opened, I'd probably written 150 songs mm-hmm. maybe over time. And, you know, you'd, uh, you know, a lot of them are crap because you got to ease through those to get into the better things for sure. But uh, that's just how it goes. 15,000 hours yeah. to be genius at something. Right. You got to right. start somewhere. Right. And you say so you put in your time and uh, I guess I'm a little more known as a singer now than a. I think you, you know, are a singer songwriter. Yeah, than a guitar player, although I love still playing backup you know, guitar for people. And then I can do stuff that I can't do on my own. I, I love the, the little atmospheric, chimey parts. And yeah. even though I don't, you know, I'm not the, the shredder, ripper, lead guy, I mean, I can still play leads and. But I love adding in the little fills and the little, you know, the harmonics, little, some little harmonic bend here or there. I think that stuff elevates the music always. So Jeff Stanley's been playing in my band for a couple of years now. He's just great at these atmospheric little really unusual chord forms or something yeah. that just, to me, that elevates things. It's like, you know, the, the song, the, you know, the, the, the words, the, the rhythm, the melody. I mean, that, that's the black and white, really. It's the skeleton of the song. It makes the song what it is. But... It's cool to add the color in there. And sure. the color to me is the harmony vocals and the interesting keyboard or lead parts that weave throughout and, you know, elevate that part and then break it down there or whatever. I mean, it's just, that adds so much more than just the black and white. I mean, I love just doing the solo thing with just a voice and a guitar, but that's the stripped down version. And I don't hear the songs in my head that way ever. That's just how I write them and that's how I play them because... Solo gigs the way you can make a living. It's hard to make a living as a band member. Do you write the other parts, though, for when other people are going to help you out? For recording, yeah. I mean, if, if I could... God, if I could do anything I wanted musically, I would never perform live. I would only sit around and write songs and produce... I love producing in the studio and, and figuring out the other parts and putting those all together. I wouldn't say that I write all the parts, but... Um, I mean, I can hear so many things in my head, the keyboard things coming in here and there, and you know, this guitar part or that uke part or that mandolin part or whatever. I can still hear those things floating in. And to me, that's, yeah, that, I, I get off on that the most, I think. It's like having a child, right? You, the right. song is this baby that's just born. And where does it go from there? Like, how does that thing grow up? I mean, I'm sure like parents anywhere, you, you have your view of what that kid's going to be because it's natural for us to think, oh, this kid's going to be that. He, he can do this. He can do that. And it's a song's that way too. I mean, the song sometimes doesn't want to be what you might want it to be, and it's going to become something else along the way. Especially the more people get involved in it, everybody's got their little, their little flair and their little feeling for where it's going. And uh, 
but in you know in my own head, I can hear all these harmony vocals and that guitar part, and so it's it's fun to kind of come up with those. And even when I'm playing by myself, I still hear some of those things. Like here's where that part is going to come in someday. <laughs> well, do you, can you write music? Um, I don't write on paper. No, I don't even read music at yeah. all. I mean, even all those years of piano lessons, I sort of faked my way through that. And uh, yeah, I'm all ear. I mean, it sounds good. I like it. And, and I think, you know, after playing music for many, many years, you hear a lot more than you would hear when you're starting out, for right. sure. Because you, you understand, you know, way more about theory and harmony. And you've played with people and you can see how those parts fit in, something you would never think about until, right. until you have enough experience to do so. And uh, So where were you born? Baltimore. A long time ago. Baltimore. What Baltimore, year was Maryland. that? 1964. Oh, you're young. Shut up. Uh, it's all relative, Mark. I know, that's true. <laughs> okay, well, you were a baby in 64, so you didn't know what was happening then, but by the time you did... I'm not sure I understood what a lot of what was going on, but growing up as a little kid, I remember seeing the black and white newscasts from Vietnam and you know, hearing as a little kid about drug overdose deaths for rock stars and not understanding what that was. But at age six, I was already listening to pop, rock and roll radio, Every night going to bed. My parents were, were very cool about allowing that. My parents were both strictly classical musicians, so that was planned. That's that's the kind of music we were being taught growing up. But they were cool to just let me turn the radio on, and they'd, they'd come up and turn it off after we sleep. So I, I have a ton of 60s and 70s stuff in my repertoire, just because that is the stuff that I've been hearing the longest in my life. I mean, and to me, that's when you know American popular music took off in a huge way because there was just so much going on in, in that period yeah. anyway, and and music was just you know was a soundtrack for everything that was happening really. Literally. And yeah, I mean, so then and, and that went just every possible direction it could have gone, I guess, in that in that day and age. And it was it was cool to flip around when my parents would leave the house. I could go downstairs and crank up the stereo a little more at age nine or whatever. And did they have a start. good stereo system? They did. They had a cool stereo system in that age. I mean, I don't know, you know, I didn't know much about it, but the speakers were on opposite sides of a big living room. I could lay down on the floor in the middle and get, you know, full stereo effect. One speaker coming across the room in each ear uh, on each side of my head. And, uh, I'd flip around, you know, from the rock station to the soft pop station and to the soul station, the R&B station. I mean, Baltimore, a lot of, it's a big city, so there's a lot of radio, um, you know, a lot of radio options there. And uh, and a really ethnic city in a lot of ways, too. So um, there's there's different stuff, for sure, um, you know, available. What did you gravitate towards? What were, like, your favorites? You know, as a, as a younger kid, I, I don't know if I could say anything particular. I was a huge John Denver fan as a little kid, and I would save up quarters until I could buy the next John Denver record. I, I started off playing my dad's uh, nylon string guitar at, at, at 11, so it was in the mid-70s when John was at his heyday. So I liked that singer-songwriter acoustic thing, but I was also a massive uh, rock and roll fan. And in high school, I went into a big like southern rock uh, kind of mode, listening to tons of Leonard Skinner at Allman Brothers, uh, Marshall Tucker Band, even Molly Hatchet, still the loudest Molly concert. Molly Hatchet, loudest concert I've ever heard in my life. My ears are ringing for a day or two after <laughs> that. And uh, you know, now I look back and kind of, you know, shake my head at that a little bit. But boy, you know, bands like Allman Brothers and and uh, Skinner, so those bands still stand the test of time. And uh, but I was also into all that other, you know, Eagles, everything else that was on, you know, rock mainstream radio back then was. Uh, and then you got the James Taylor side and, yeah. and that singer songwriter side all the way up to the big band side. So, boy, the 70s was such a great incubation period for me, for sure. I, I lost a little confidence in popular music in the 80s as things transitioned just towards the synth pop drum machine, you know, ding, 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 thing. Just like, ah, there's, 
You love that stuff. I was a dancer, dude, man. Yeah. I loved right. dancing and being high. But to yeah. me, I was just like, it seemed like it, it, it lost this organic feel that I really, uh, I still like about music. Um, I came back in the 90s. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the 90s, singer-songwriter period really was, to me, was the reflection of what the 70s singer-songwriter yeah. was. Things. And, you know, except maybe a little more sheen to it, not quite as raw for the most part. But I mean, it's still, there are bands I still love in the 80s, like Smithereens and some of the more rock and stuff. Love the That was such a good Yeah, album. I mean, there's there, I mean, there's just a lot of fun stuff as well. Yeah. And I, I do cover a little bit of 80s stuff. I, I do a ton of covers. I mean, I wouldn't only call myself a singer-songwriter. I'm certainly more of a cover artist than I am well, about presenting. Because yeah. people pay for familiarity. Totally. And I like, I mean, I, I almost never will do a song the way it's done. I mean, I, when I'm learning a cover tune, um, I try to go through my memory. I'll get the lyrics and the, or maybe or the chords or you know enough of some of these things I've just heard enough times that you know as long as I have the lyrics I can you know I can figure out the key. Right. And people last several years people tell me wow I like how you did that song. I'm like well I I thought I did it the way they did it. I guess you know by not going to YouTube and watching the thing over and over and trying to copy right. it exactly I'm filtering this thing through my own consciousness sure. and my own musical experience and sometimes I'll substitute chord changes or whatever and but people seem to respond to that like oh that's cool you you've added your own feel to it and now I try to do that I try not to to you know I didn't realize I was doing it at the time right. but I like kind of putting my own feel on it I mean everybody everybody knows the original version what about you know let's let's hear what somebody else might think about a take on that version right Put your, your little spin on that. I mean, I'll even change lyrics sometimes because I think something else is more fun for me to sing in a, in a tune or whatever. And, you know, <laughs> it's all part of the creative process, I guess, right? Yeah, make it yours. I think just that stripped down thing is a neat thing to do to, to reinvent and reimagine a, a song. But, and I, I have a hard time finding some things at all that I'd like to learn on uh, the internet at all. Like, like a guy like Prince. Yeah. Like when Prince passed away, I was curious. I'm like, I, all right, I got to add another Prince tune in, in just to, because he had some neat stripped down stuff. And it's so hard to find his versions of anything. He had full control of, of not wanting his stuff up there, apparently. Yeah, so yeah. he stripped down and, and I'm like, now I want to actually just maybe record a, a Prince cover here or there and just with my slant on it as a super stripped down just guitar vocal thing just to have it up there so other people could see you know wait there is maybe a couple Prince covers I had a hard time finding anything on some of his tunes you can find the lyrics though right yeah I can get the lyrics but apparently he was very controlling about how little he wanted up there that was not him was interesting of his yeah. stuff yeah huh. or even of his own stuff I mean obviously there's videos of him up there but yeah but I had problems finding like the album versions of his tunes. Mm-hmm. Like you know like those are always up because your, your distributor just puts them up with, with a static photo and there's yeah, your, but he it, didn't need any of his shit yeah, there. Yeah, right. I mean, that's right. right. It's Prince. <laughs> right, it's right. <laughs> True. A lot of people don't. But then you, you want to go and like hear something. I, I think, you know, I've, like anybody else, probably with, with, the, with the passing of all these, you know, big musical figures, I'm sure it's inspired a lot more um, interest in the back catalogs of people who are like, you know, there's so much music around us that you get overwhelmed with everything. And, and But you remember back 20 years ago, yeah, that song was great. God, I'd love to hear that again. And then... You know, it's it's great to use the internet as a resource to just to find that to listen to it again. I mean, I'm not gonna go buy every song out there that I want to hear, but I want to hear some of these tunes just to see if I want to cover some more of them. I mean, right. you know, there's, you know, just just with the Petty and the Prince and the other, and a couple other bigger names, um, you know, it's inspired me along the way to all right, I gotta add something from that in as a little memorial to somebody that was big, you know, that Greg Allman or whatever, you know, gotta throw in one of those things when it's topical, maybe just to as a little bit of a paying homage to somebody that passed away. It's sad we don't do that more before they pass away, but that's just life. Well, they're like, already doing it. 
Yeah, they're doing their own stuff. Like, why, you know, I mean, I don't, and I don't understand why some of these people do their stuff so long, still to this day. I mean, I'm somebody who's mid 80s, still on the live music trail. I don't understand it, man. I would want to just sit back and enjoy my life. <laughs> right now, my friend uh, Rich Reese, who's a producer of this show, yeah. he manages a lot of acts from the 80s. Yeah. They do this thing. Uh, a rock and roll cruise yeah. where these bands yes. yeah, I've heard of go these things. and play two sets for like $40,000 yeah. and then just sit around and yep. jerk off and drink the rest right. of the time. <laughs> They're generating revenue and the yep. people are still interested because there's no real live music anymore like well, there was. Yeah, and I think you've nailed something there, generating revenue. Now with the you know recorded music thing being sort of upside down compared to what it was back in the day, you know, the internet's leveled the playing fields in some great ways and also some really not great ways for anybody who had a royalty stream as their main income right. stream. It's been a lot harder. So many so of these people have blown their money and they're not, they don't have that same stream anymore. They're having to go back. I just don't quite get the 60s people, you know, from the 60s era artists that want to do this, you know, at, at the ages they are. Maybe it's just, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll still want to go out and do it live, like, you know, and make it be a job at that point. I'm like, that might be nice just to relax and, you know, do it on your own, you know, volition. But I, like a guy like Willie Nelson, I can't believe that guy is still pounding the pavement like he is. It's amazing to me. But they want to. I don't yeah. think they're being it's, forced to. I think it just becomes your life. I mean, I'm nobody big, but I mean, I, mean, I get a little freaked out if I have a, a, a thin gig month. I'm like, uh oh, it's over. <laughs> well, you're not Willie Nelson who like right. has been making millions of dollars for years. And I don't have handlers to take care of everything for me, and where I just can just walk out there and do my thing. I mean, I have to do all the handling myself. And uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people would it rather burns have me your out. life than his. Really? Yeah, Maybe. because I don't know. your life is simple, and uh, there's a certain Maybe. level of predictability to it, and yeah. you don't require a handler. Yeah. And, and you can <laughs> or 27 handlers. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, uh, right. that sounds like a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I would agree with that. And yeah. a full schedule. Yeah. And you can't just like wake up uh, with the cartoon yawn and, and start your day easily. There's well, I do that, generally. That's what I mean. Yeah. You can't do oh, that oh, really? you can't got do a that. big schedule. You know, I've, yeah, well, that's true. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're waking up on a bus all the time, I guess, it's, you know, whatever. That's just not something I don't think I want to do, is <laughs> live in a bus for... At least one thing when you're 22, you know, great. Make it How happen. You know? Wait a minute. In my you're, early you're, 50s. Yeah, because I'm 56. I was born in 61. Whatever, early 50s. Yeah. Jesus. How'd that happen so quickly? I mean, I wake up one day and I'm already there. Who fell asleep at the switch and let that happen, Mark? I'm in the Wait, same. Wait, it was me, I guess. I'm on the same side with my parents, <laughs> too, now. This is not like I'm right. a little kid and there's my parents. Right. I'm 20 years away from them. Yeah. I'm wow. on the same side. We're going down similarly. Well, they say, you know, from the day you're born, you start dying. So It's immediate. <laughs> right. There's only one direction you're going. What direction yeah. is that? You're going down the line towards your end. I mean, it's great. The ride is the ride's awesome along the, the way. But awesome. you're, uh, you know, it's frustrating. It's inspiring. It's infuriating. It's magical. It's all those things wrapped into one. And that's what life is. Yeah. Speaking of, yeah. did you want to play a song? Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. It's cool to break it up a little bit too, right? Yeah. This is a song called um, Clear Morning Lights. Uh, I'm sure this happens to everybody out there in the world, but I, it happens to me a lot. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm not a super solid sleeper anymore. I start worrying about stuff. My mind never is totally still. It's, I know, you wake up in the night and everything seems a little more crazy than it is maybe. But in the morning you wake up, the sun's up, and you realize, yeah, all right, now I can handle that. That's cool. I can, I can deal with that. So that's what this is.
I awoke late last night Some kind of dream Everything was different Or so it did seem But you know how it is Cloudy with sleep When it all feels so real Hell is steep But I feel better now By the clear morning light Feel better now With it all inside I know I'll be alright Feel better now By the clear morning light She thinks her life would crumble Without him there And the time he gave to her like playing solitaire In night awake in bed she toss and turn But she knows when the morning comes She will have learned But she'll feel better now By the clear morning light Feel better now with it all inside Yes, I know she'll be alright Feel better now by the I woke again last night Talking in my sleep Holding conversations Instead of counting sheep Problems that I could not solve Eat at my soul Take hold of my dream existence Out of control But I feel better now About the clear morning light Feel better now with it on Yes, I know I'll be alright Feel better now Feel better now By the clear morning light Feel better now It's all in sight Oh, I know I'll be alright Feel better now By the clear morning light Clear morning light Still sort of morning, I guess. It is. That was beautiful. Man. Thank you. Okay, so you're in Baltimore. It's the 60s. You're kicking it on the floor with the speakers in your ears. Uh, <laughs> well, that was by the 70s already then. That was yeah. already the 70s? Now? Yeah. We moved around a little bit in those for in the and then came back to Maryland. So, I, so how long were you in, in Baltimore the I first think, time? I think the first time was two years. We moved to Connecticut where my brother, I'm the oldest of four kids. Uh, my brother's born in Connecticut. We were there for maybe two years. Why um, did you move? Uh, my dad was... Uh, following his PhD path. So we were following, I guess, one of his main professors. And we went to Colorado for, I think, three years uh, and then came back to, to uh, Baltimore when my dad got his first uh, college uh, professorship job. Okay. Um, so, what so did I'm, you teach? He was a microbiologist, so cell biology and that kind of stuff. Smart um, guy. Yeah, I'm one of those guys, yeah. PhDs. Yeah. There are no dummies, typically, in, yeah. that, in that batch. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. Doing? 
Uh, she was uh, a paid uh, music soloist and teaching piano and voice. So and wherever you went, she had a job. Yeah, she was singing in theater in Colorado and, and teaching, and um, she was all, a paid soloist in churches and that kind of thing. And right. My parents met in choir when they were ah. young, so there was definitely a musical tag. My dad and my mom still sing in choir here in the Rogue Valley together. And, uh, and they live here? Yeah, they live in Ashland. That's oh. how sort of how I wound up here, um, pretty much by mistake. So somebody else's grand plan that I wasn't aware of, but right. yeah, that's how I found myself here. I've been here about eight and a half years, I want to say now. I think somewhere around that range. Yeah. How'd you do in school? Um, I was a good kid. I was. I studied. I did well in school until college was a little wake up call for me. You know, having to work actually harder. Like all the grade school stuff and high school all came pretty easy, I guess. Well, how hard was that having to move around and, and go to different schools? Well, first of all, I mean, I, I went to kindergarten in, in Colorado and then back to Maryland, which I went straight through from birth through 12th. So, okay. yeah, so we, I was a little, little kid. Yeah, so I was there and then I went to school in Virginia. So I was in Virginia for five years uh, for college. What'd so, you do there? I started off in the architecture program there and changed my major a few times and randomly got out with a BS in sports management, of all things. Go figure. BS is in bullshit? Yeah. I have <laughs> a degree. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it, but I had to get a degree. And I've, I, I just think the human body is fascinating and athletic stuff. And I'm a kind of a fitness nut anyway. So, so I was always into that stuff. I wasn't sure I was going to transition. And uh, pretty much I went from there to working for a cruise line and then into real estate. So cruise was, line? <laughs> I was actually... Uh, I was thinking so, of Love Boat, so I'll yeah, right, pick right. your position. <laughs> Julie McCoy. Were you Julie? <laughs> no, no. I, uh, I moved to Hawaii right out of college, and that's the longest I've lived anywhere in my life. I was huh. in, in Honolulu for 22 years. Uh, but I worked in on a, as a ground-based crew in uh, dealing with people at the airport and hotels that were coming for a Hawaiian cruise line that goes uh-huh. around the islands. Yeah. And this would have been in... Uh, 87, 88, I guess, but jumped into real estate stuff. Real estate was, in Hawaii, how was that? Well, that, that is a one heck of an industry if you're if you're a go-getter for sure. I, I kind of got sucked into it by some people that I did some part-time yard work for, and, and they take a liking to me and ended up getting a license, pulled me in their office. I started managing all the rental properties they had and selling a little bit, and they were developers. Um, so I was, I was their office manager and got really involved. and. Having that architecture school year uh, or a couple years background was sort of helpful in you know, oh. planning out maybe what could be done here and there. It was a great, great experience. I really enjoyed the creative aspect of, of that, looking at a piece of land and, you know, how, how could that be best developed maybe along the way. And uh, Honolulu and Oahu in general is a pretty dense place. It's, you know, it's almost all the population of the state of Hawaii is on one island and most of it's on one side of one island. So it's, it's very dense there. But... That's the place I really got into music the most, too, for sure. That, that pushed me musically. I, so I always had a day job there forever, and I worked for a company, a corporate kind of situation, for 17 years. But I was playing two or three nights a week in bands, uh, and occasionally as a solo back then. So, you know, when I, you're in your 30s, you had tons of energy. I could do that till 1 in the morning and then go to work the next morning. Not sure. a problem. I can't really do that anymore. I like to ease into my mornings. I don't get out of my pajamas till about 11 most days. So I get a lot of work done, but that's my time on the computer. I do all my bookings and, you know, upkeep and social media stuff, uh, website, you know, updates, whatever. That's all done, you know, in my kitchen on my laptop in the mornings with tea or coffee. And, and then I can, you know, get up and start moving and really get my day out of the house going. So how long would that take if we didn't have the technology for you to do all your bookings and your dates and your... 
You know, it'd be interesting. It would be, I mean, it'd be all phone related, which takes a lot more time than shooting out, you know, random emails and doing everything at once and getting your confirmation email right there that I can keep and go, yep, here's my dates and there's what it all is. It's right really there. nice. I will tell you the one thing that has really become time consuming is just the social media uh, upkeep and maintenance. Yeah. I, I love working in my yard. I have way more time to do that. I, know I barely can find any time because my mornings are all just... just you know, I'm just, I just about five websites I have to try to upkeep and keep you my need schedule a social current. Media I need a, I need an intern from SOU you need or an something. Intern, like Kramer <laughs> from NYU. Uh, Darren. You know, it's funny because it's it's hard to you know when you when you work for yourself. I don't know how you are with that, but it's sometimes hard to let things go. It's hard to let control of things go and. Uh, I, I'm a little bit of a control freak, I know, on that. If a post is going off on my pages, I want to make sure the English is proper. I want to make sure that I like the image and that it portrays what I want it to portray. So I'm a little funny about releasing control of that. And I understand that that's going to just that takes up more time to, to do that. When you have that, the income stream that allows you to hire people and still make a living yourself, you know, it's, it's amazing how much of, this, you know, people go, oh, you, God, you only have to play music two hours a day. That's all you have to do. That's awesome. Like, well... Oh my God, it's hours and hours on end a week to, you know, just to book your gigs and keep your relationships going and, and you know, figure out what else you might want to do and maybe work on a video and, uh, you know, just just keep the, uh, the social media promotions going and trying to keep people coming out to your shows. Because if that doesn't happen, you're not going to keep your shows. I've been lucky enough to to find a, a patron or two in that old Italian mode you know, um, along the way, nothing, nothing major, but I've got some friends that do have the people that, you know, help support them because they believe in them enough and a very cool model too. If people love it, well, like the recording thing, I see all these artists asking for money to, to do their next record. Yeah. And I'm funny about that. I'm, I've self-funded every record I've made. I've, I've got three, three CDs out there and, and, uh, and it's, it's time consuming and it's expensive to do those. And, uh, I no longer have a studio at home, so I mean, I'll do overdubs and stuff on my laptop at home, but I, I can't really. I think some people have to get over. I'm one of those people. I'm a little funny about money, but again, that's Jeff K in overtones. David Boland on drums, Donnie Ants on bass. Oh, David Boland? Yeah. From, uh, Rogue Suspects. Yeah, among yeah. other bands. But he and Donnie have become this really, really uh, connected um, rhythm section, and they basically have four bands right now together, wow. which is pretty cool, separate from their own, you know suspects or infusion projects that they have on the side or it's interesting so they they approached me knowing those guys for years they approached me about starting a band and let's flesh out songs like you have on your cd instead of just you solo and so we went with it and uh and that's been cool david's he's the heart and soul of that group really and, and he's really inspired i mean his sound system's insane he's, he loves to shoot video and toy with it and he's built this website that's just loaded with content you know what's the, the website it's hard to memorize all these web presences. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> it is. You know, I do appreciate places like Reverb Nation and my own website where they can look at one place, boom, there's the whole monthly calendar, um, which is not as easy to find on your Facebook or Instagram page. Right. You know, you got to find that post where you did it at the beginning of the month or whatever. So why'd you leave Hawaii? Uh, wow, I left Hawaii after, like I said, 22 years there for a woman. You came here for the woman? No, I went to California to uh, to finally make a go with this woman that was pretty much the love of my life. Uh, after 17 years off and on, she had moved to California from Hawaii, and I went there to uh, make a go of it. And we decided to put everything in storage immediately and, and go rambling. So we were, cruised around North America for six months. She, her dog, and I in a car. And Wow, 39 states, one Canadian province. Great experience. At the end, we went sideways totally and uh, I didn't have a plan B 
Everything I owned was in storage in uh, the Tenderloin. So I sort of wound up here, just came out to see my parents in Ashland and stumbled into this complete bottom of the barrel real estate market. And coming out of real estate, I was just blown away with how affordable it was here. So I just thought, well, all right, here's something I can do. I don't have a plan B. I mean, I still like that whole real estate game. I love old homes and going around with real estate. I've renovated a couple places. And I mean, it worked out in my favor. It's nice to have a, a cushion, not have to, you know. There's always that thought of the starving musician and, and uh, how what all this angsty creativity must come out of that. That's not me at all. If I'm starving, I'm out banging the bushes to try to make sure I'm not starving, then right. I can get back to some security level. So it's not a creative time for me so much. Right. And if I am secure and feel good about what I got going on, that's when my creative mind can blossom, I think. And Anyway, so I, I got here, and I had actually, honestly, I'd given music up totally for well over a year, maybe even two years. I mean, and I came here to this valley at the bottom of the economic barrel, and I was unemployed for three years completely. And Well, I don't qualify for unemployment. Uh, it wasn't okay, and I had had this house that I'm trying to renovate, and at least I had this little cushion from selling a place in Hawaii, but... It was scared the living daylights out of me. I, mean, I applied for probably well over 40 jobs and had one interview and one rejection and radio silence on 40 plus other things, you know. And it was, it was the nature of the market. Businesses were so overwhelmed with 600 applications, there's no way you could even respond right. and say thank you and but sorry. Right. But it forced me to go back to music and I had really, the last several years in Hawaii, I was, I'd become a sideman more than anything, playing with a bunch of you know everyday artists and then some bigger bigger artists. So I got to tour Japan a few times with Jake Shimokuro as his backup and played with his little brother for years as well as another well-known guy in Hawaii. And uh, So I'd gotten away from maybe the connection to the music. I, was, I could just show up, plug in, play my parts, unplug, go home, and they could deal with all the people and everything. And uh, Coming here, I'm like, I, I got to fill my gas tank somehow. Me, I'm taking my tip jar to the market. And I'm gonna, you know, hopefully make 25 bucks to fill my gas tank up or get a little grocery trip in. And um, playing at the Ashland Markets is where I really kind of got my start all over again. Just going out and throwing a jar on the sidewalk, and uh, it made me think a lot more about how people connect with music and what songs you might do or how you deliver those songs to get somebody who's wandering by to stop for a minute and take a listen and maybe throw something in your jar. And then the, the, you know, the running commentary, this little back and forth you establish with those people between a song, they want to come up and say something to you or throw out an idea or whatever. It was really cool. It really connected to me what music means to people. And admittedly, it sort of gotten a little bit away and kind of sheltered from that. So that kind of made me go back to square one after playing with like great artists and having regular gigs that would pay your mortgage, you know, one playing once a week in Hawaii coming here and uh, going back to the drawing board where you can't get a paying gig. Maybe that's part of the reinvention process that people sometimes need to go through. And uh, So that was great for me. And that so it's a very ground up organic uh, reinvention and starting over at the bottom to try to build something up again. And luckily it's worked out for me. And I think I, I got lucky in one aspect in particular because I really am more of a winery musician than anything else. And that the wine business was pretty much just starting to blow up and I got here I think there were 17 wineries in the Rogue Valley when I arrived here at the end of 09, and now there are over 40. And uh, a lot of them did not have music, just a few did. It took me about a year and a half to even get into a winery gig. I, nobody would give me the time of day. And, you know, they were using their established artists. They're like, we don't know you. You're, you're nobody to us. And right. it was a struggle. And, you know, being a musician, man, if you're trying to be a gigging musician, you have to have some thick skin. 
because you get a ton of rejection on your your original music, your version of covers, whether they want you to play there or not. There's so many no's you get along the way. But you have to be super persistent and just keep believing it. And um, you keep marching. Every month, you know, you're checking in with the venue owner or booking agent. Hey, what, what do you got for this month? What do you got for next month? And I'm at the point now where luckily I don't have to do that much anymore at all. I mean, people call me and ask me, all right, what, what do you got for the next three months? What can well, I get you in? Well, so you it's scalar. Yeah, I mean, I put a lot of time into that. And like I said, I kind of got lucky with the winery thing because um, being somebody that works in the wine biz on the other side of the bar, I, un- I really understand how music in a winery is, is not always a concert. It's, it's ambiance. It's the atmosphere that, that kind of builds that whole experience into something bigger than the sum of its parts. And um, Do the people know who hire you from the wineries? That you have a wine background? Oh yeah, I mean I've I've worked for seven years for a couple different wineries. I mean I harvest grapes every fall for a couple different wineries just to help out. Um, I'm a partner in a small winery in in Medford as well, and and I've played pretty much in almost every winery that people sort of know that I'm connected to in more it's than one ways. Yeah, it is a plus. I mean, and I think it just really helps me again to figure out what works in what winery and what you know. Some are big outdoor concert things. Some are quiet inside tasting room things where people come and want to hear you, and some of you are just totally background music. That's cool for me. All three of those are, are neat, I think. And, you know, they lend themselves to that experience. That's fine. I know what to expect there generally. And uh, I don't go in with a set list. I just go in, what's the vibe here today? Who's here in the audience? What's the energy level like? And, and that's you just go from there. And, you know, it's all kind of... And to some extent, what are you feeling like any, you know, any, any given day? So, right. Have um, you played at Bella Fiore? Yeah, I've been playing there since they first opened. And they've been great to me. It's definitely a quieter space. It's a little more of a listening space. It's not as much of a louder crowd catch-up space. It's more of a place to sit, to sit down, have some of that killer food they have up there, and pair that with wines. And, and uh, Yeah, that's a regular for me every month since they first opened. And there's some places that, I, I mean, a place like South Stage Cellars, I've been playing there since 2010. That's the longest, and I played there a couple times a month since I got in there. Yeah. That's the longest running gig I've had in my life anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a couple five-year running gigs in Hawaii. But to play somewhere two or three or four times a month, every month, that's, that's, that's awesome. It's great. It's bread and butter. I mean, I've, you know, I'm, granted, I work there as well on the side, but it's great to have built something in that place. I got that gig finally just by banging on that door forever because they, they were one of the bigger musical outlets in, for, as far as wineries were concerned early. They had three yeah. nights a week of music year-round, which was a lot at the, in, you know, in 2008, 9, 10, yeah. before a lot of places had jumped in. They had nothing on Wednesday nights, and uh, I knew they had a, a dinner night you know, catered in or whatever that night. So I just finally it's offered. All right, I'm going to play here for free this Wednesday. You, if you like it, great. If not, that's cool. At least we took a shot at yeah. it. And that was in the fall of 2010, and since that day, they've never not had music on a Wednesday night. That's we, awesome. we created this thing that just spiraled, and it's great. I mean, sometimes we'll have 40, 45 dinners in that little place with wow. another 20 people hanging out drinking wine, you know, wow. coming coming and going. You're and helping, you're making the money. It's, well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a back-scratching thing, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's good for me. I make money. It's good for them. They, they create a night that wouldn't be a big night anyway out right. of it. And uh, so it's been... Uh, and you're kind of a fixture there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a bunch of places I play regularly when they're open, and it's really great to have regular places. Like, I always play a dance in when they're open, a Pebblestone when they're open for a music series. You know, not a lot of people have indoor space for music, so some of them are only open for music five, six months, seven months a year, depending upon what we get. But it's great to be a regular part of a a monthly thing somewhere all the time, so. And you've played Brit. 
Yeah, I've been playing Brit every year since 2011. It's, it was cool to get a nod that first year. And they, they had, even in 11, they had an unnamed local musician who was like quality control. He was tasked with going out and watching your gigs to see if, if they would fit in. Because nowadays, you know, people have so much more of a... Uh, online presence you can right. just go to their YouTube page while, you sure. know get their submittals and back in 2010-11 I mean, people still didn't have that stuff you know for themselves um, so that was cool to get in with that as a solo and I've, I've done it as a solo I've done it as a duo and then the last three years running I've done it with uh, with my band and um, and that's been great the first time we did it with the band the concession woman said oh my god I've never seen so many people stay down here and not go up to their seats for that first local side stage thing, oh. which was super cool to hear. And then we've parlayed that into finally got to play the main stage and opened for Rick Springfield. George Rellis, the sound guy who does all the opening acts up there, did sound for us that night. Insanely good sound. It's so cool to be on that stage. So that was David Bowen, Donnie Yance, myself, and Jeff Stanley. And I know Jeff Stanley was on Cloud 29. Oh, sure. Weeks later, he, I mean, he still says one of the coolest experiences he's had musically. And it was really, really neat to see people in that I knew right in that front little seated right. section. And they're like, oh, my God, I didn't no idea you guys could sound like that. And it's great. We did, an, we did an almost completely original set, one reimagined cover that people, you could see they recognize right off the bat, which is fun and uh, great experience. So hopefully they'll have us back this year. I apply every year and... You know, you see where it goes. So, cool, man. Yeah. yeah, that's been a great experience. What a great resource and outlet for us to have in uh, Southern Oregon. At the, you know, a 2,200-seat concert venue. It's a beautiful that, venue. And they have local music as that initial oh, opener. Right there. They're great. The Lucky Dog and the Stink yeah. Bug. That's actually great, though. I mean, what, a, what, what an exposure. The, there's a lot of people that will never go hear music in bars. There's a lot of people that will never go to a winery hearing music. And right. so what are your other options? I mean, there's, there's nowhere else, really, unless you want to go play at the market. Unfortunately, you're talking my, about the growers market? Or yeah, the... the one in Medford and the one here. I played Medford and Ashland yeah. always back in the day. And um, and such great people and energy. And it's fun to see the little kids start jumping around because, you know, they're still in that, that wonder mode where anything that makes them feel good, they start bouncing around. Yeah. Like, unlike adults, we're all, you know, you got that inner nine-year-old like I do, too. I yeah. um no, it's good to have that lively spark still. But, you know, markets are just are fun that way. But I, one of these days I should go back and just, I mean, I'll, I'll do as many as sometimes 20 gigs a month. And so I don't have a lot of leftover energy to keep playing. It's, yeah. It really takes a lot out of you. For me, it's more vocally, although sometimes my fingers just get to the point where it hurts to, you know, to keep playing. But uh, more, it's more about the voice, I think, is just uh, that vocal cords so that can get kind of strained and... Do you take care of your voice? I do. I uh, every I don't. First of all, I'm not a huge drinker at all when I play. I uh, certainly want my glass of wine afterwards, but yeah. I don't drink typically at all when I sing because it has more alcohol. Just and and the tannins in red wines have more, much more of a drying effect on my vocal cords. So I don't tend to go there. I always go home and drink a cup or two of tea at night just to mellow out the voice. And um, I I don't I don't frequent a lot of bars just to me the, the hardest thing in my voice at all is talking in bars over people and over bands and over levels it's just yeah. you know you're yelling at people to have a conversation I don't I don't think so this is something uh, I guess I wrote this late in 2006 or 2016 I'm sorry uh, and I the backstory on this song is that I saw this meme come across my uh, my stream one day alright what is a meme now tell everybody what a meme is to me it is Words and graphics tied together, whether it's a little short little saying, an idea, somebody's quote, whatever, with a graphic that hopefully maybe fits with it. So this was a Technicolor butterfly 
crazy over the top really cool graphic design i love i love graphics i love photography i like visual arts to me just grabs me and uh, this one grabbed me and it said be your own kind of beautiful with this mm. crazy butterfly boy for a place like ashland that has a that has a tie to it for sure, sure. <laughs> my friend brett levick uh, from the band left he's a prolific writer really interesting writer great lyricist and uh, so i saw this I'm like i gotta send that brett should write a song called that be your own kind of beautiful and so I was meant to send it to him, and then I stumbled into just toying with the idea myself. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to write the song about it. So that's where this song, uh, Be Your Own Kind of Beautiful, comes from. Um, just be who you got to be and don't worry about it. And I've, uh, I don't play this one too often yet, and I've never recorded it, so this might be a first. Spice the life you got your own, don't mind the strife, you're beautiful. It's all about the way you feel, I think it's great, you got your deal, you're beautiful. Sing it out all loud and proud, you know you don't need the crowd, you're beautiful. It don't matter what they say, it's all about you anyway. You're beautiful, your own kind of beautiful. Keep on marching to your drum, living life to the maximum. You yourself, you're the only one. Be your own kind of beautiful. Be your own. Beautiful. Now it don't matter what they think, embrace yourself, you got your kink, you're beautiful. And it don't matter how you look, when you get done, you'll write a book, you're beautiful, your own kind of beautiful. Keep on marching to your drum. Living life to the maximum You yourself be the only one Be your own kind of beautiful Be your own kind of beautiful Keep on leading your parade Don't you worry about a thing it don't matter what they say Put your true self on display And be your own kind of beautiful Trumpet part right there, right? I don't care just how you cook, it's more about your own outlook, you're beautiful. Celebrate the way you want, now make it work and you can flaunt your beautiful, your 
attention to your drug Living life to the maximum You yourself be the only one Be your own kind of beautiful You yourself be the only one Be your own kind of Something like that. That's a single, dude. I've got two more albums planned right now that I just don't have the, quite the time to get to those. But yeah, thank you. I've, I've played it live a few times. I just play, I played this at a uh, funeral for an Ashland cop last summer. A retired a woman who's uh, the mother of one of my friends. And uh, I was like, are you sure you want me to play that for the blue line there? I'm like, whatever. But they wanted to hear it. And even the chief of police came up and thanked me for it afterwards. I'm like, it's a great you know, song, dude. Uh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing yeah, it cool. the show. Sweet. Yeah, I brought some stuff that I just... I haven't recorded and don't play live much. I'm like, yeah, it's, maybe it's fun to share stuff that people wouldn't get to hear otherwise. All it takes is one that, that opens up maybe a little bit of the world for you a little bit more. Well, I think that's the yeah, one. Maybe so. Well, next album, I want to have Mikey Stevens play the trumpet part. I already talked to him about that. Mm-hmm. I can definitely hear, you know, drum bass, a little more a little more built up on this. But then, you know, I've, I like I love the dynamics in music. I love the dropouts. You know, suddenly you're back down to a quiet part, rebuild it. So, and it's to me, that's just fun. That production side of things is really cool. I wish I had more time to write songs. I get, you know, the songwriting thing is such an interesting thing because it is an ebb and flow of that. I mean, I had super prolific periods and then I've had just complete drought and where I didn't write for life? years. It's the ebb and flow of yeah. life. I mean, right. I think at some point in time, I had had this long prolific streak. Nothing like Gene Burnett has. I would consider prolific on my own, but <laughs> not like him. But I, I went through a, this dearth of, of any inspiration either musically or ly- lyrically, even though I was performing. And, and I finally started writing again in about 2013. So I went about six years without writing a song. And that was, that was actually really hard for me. And it was, a, it was a, like a psych out in a way, too, because something that was such a big part of me before then, suddenly to lose that. You know, like a lot of things in life, when your life changes in a way, but you, you lose yourself when you lose all these things that you thought was what made you who you are. My life in Hawaii was composed of about four things. And when I left there and I wound up here with nothing, like, wow, who am I? I've got to start from scratch, like, all over, not just musically. But I'm glad that the songwriting thing is kind of eased back in. And, uh, and I, I think I found a new muse. Well, I did find a new muse last year. And that has inspired me to start writing quite a bit more stuff. So it's been a long time since I've had a muse. So this, ah. it's interesting to have one that's, you know, giving me both I'll sad and happy stuff, certainly for me lyrically. I had this experience last year that sort of cracked me open, I think, and in both positive and negative, I mean, not negative, but like, you know, more heart-wrenching ways and more just elevating, uplifting ways. Yeah. And that's cool. I mean, yeah, I'm working on a whole bunch of stuff that I just don't quite have the time to finish. I mean, it takes the lyric part of songwriting. The music part, for me, just comes really easily and naturally. Sure. And the lyric part is a lot more of a struggle. And part of it, I think, is, you know we all have our expectations about how this should go and, and how good it should be or whatever. Sure. And, and I'm a perfectionist, so sometimes to me, these things are never done. And I'm like, I keep trying to find the right way to say that. And I mean, you just got to do it. And I think part of it, I mean, songs are, are, are um, 
they're not static really you know the more you play a song the more it gels into what really works the sure. most and I've, I gotta make sure I keep forcing myself to play the new ones instead of just the old ones and the fun ones and the oh, ones that yeah. people want to hear that's how they grow and become what they're gonna become and right. like wow that's just way too many words Let's, we need to strip that down and make that flow or you realize where you drop words and the thought is the same so that part of the thing is has been always more of a challenge for me but it, to be inspired and that actually makes that, that job easier that cell phone thing oh my god to me the notes little notes pull up on my iPhone and the uh, voice memos that's become my demo playland anywhere I am I, I get an idea boy I'm jotting down the words in there and and uh, at home I just that, that's my idea generator I'm hit the phone go right into that even throw down that second part little recording and uh Oh my God, the problem is going back and mining it all. Like, oh my God, years, a couple years worth of ideas now. And, and I mean, that last song definitely came out of that, that uh, way of, of toying with, with things there. So, By the way, these 244 stickers are for you. Sweet. My music book is covered with cool stickers, and awesome. one of those will definitely go on there. Awesome. Sweet. You want to do a going out song? Yeah, let me try something new that I've only played live maybe twice. Okay. And it's what, probably my newest quote-unquote completed song, although it's, you know, again, who knows if it's completed or not. But this one's called Deliver Me, and um, this is from that last muse. It's about somebody else could maybe deliver me from some of these demons, maybe, but you never know. You shouldn't rely on other people to deliver your own demons, but they can help put you in places where, uh, where they're much easier to deal with, I guess. I think that's true. Tragic southern accident 
Something along those lines. Awesome. It's all on all of us to deal with that crap. We always want somebody else to deal with our issues, right? It probably is a rare song that changes your mind, but it, I mean, I guess I can see that music becomes a little bit of a respite in that it really gives you a chance to just let go of some of the heaviness maybe and, and enjoy something where you can be a little more pure. I think on my YouTube channel, I don't know, I probably have 26 or 28 videos. And I think maybe only one or two of them is a cover. I think almost all of them are originals, whether they're posted directly off my albums or whether they're live versions of those. And then the band website, we have a ton of video on the band website. All right, man. All right, thanks a lot for having yeah, me. Cool to be here it. on Citizen 44. that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was really great having Jeff Klotzel up here in the apartment. And really, it's fascinating to have these people come up with their instruments and give me a live performance right here in my apartment. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. So thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it, man. I realized like 10 minutes ago that my body is absolutely killing me, especially my upper body, shoulders, arms, and I couldn't figure out why. And it just dawned on me that yesterday, I went through the uh, football with Rich Reese in the park. And uh, this is something that we will start doing regularly. We wait for it to warm up. And then uh, it's a good way to spend like an hour and uh, keep my skills. Cause I got a pretty good arm for an old 56 year old POS. I can still heave that ball super hard and pretty accurately. So uh, look forward to more of that. Now I know at least why my body is absolutely killing me. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. If you are feeling so generous, please go to ahrensberg.com and uh, click your way through to the podcast, and you'll see a little uh, link there, a little button you can click on and throw me some cash. That's about it. All is good here. I appreciate you listening. It's great to do the show. We're two away from 44. It's going to be a great show uh, with my dear friends, Kevin Kennerly and uh, Gary Cout. That's it. Word to your mother's uncle. To find out more about Jeff Klotzel, visit him online at jeffklotzel.blogspot.com. That's J-E-F-F-K-L-O-E-T-Z-E-L.blogspot.com. This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. Visit them online at Facebook. Whatever you're doing is not working. There's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44.